Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Here's Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, Switching gears here. This is from John Oliver's show, which often wins awards like Emmys and stuff like that. Kind of a daily show sort of show. Taking on the Andrew Cuomo story, which uh, we talked about earlier, a second accuser came forward over the weekend accusing him of being a, uh, well, he asked her if he wanted to have sex. She wanted to have sex with older men. He said he liked to have sex with 20-year-olds and blah, blah, blah. You know that's Yeah, it's got a harasser, a little old school. At one point, he kissed her, though. Without well, her wanting this it. girl or the other girl? Oh, I could either, be wrong. Which e- one it is? Either way, that is the sort of thing, and I, I'm not excusing it at all, but that is the, the sort of thing that, geez, these kind of guys did all the time for mm. years. Yeah, yeah. I can't stand Cuomo, but he's not a uh, Epstein, or not Epstein, uh, Weinstein. No. Uh, or, or, or So it, it wouldn't seem. No, it would just seem that every woman he met, no matter their age, grown-ups. Um, who he found attractive, he would at least throw out a line there and see if they were interested. Yeah. Because he grew up in a world where that was perfectly okay, because it was perfectly okay until like a year and a half ago. Um, but uh, so do we need to know anything about this from John Oliver for it to make sense? Uh, no, but th- uh, this is simply a, a kind of somebody noticed uh, a person that Cuomo quotes regularly and uh, was curious about what that might, who that person might be. Follow the facts, they will show you the way. A.J. Parkinson, that's what we've been doing in uh, New York, following the facts. And you may have noticed that he was quoting someone there named A.J. Parkinson, and that is something that he likes to do a lot. Remember, textbooks say politicians lead and the people follow. No, it is often the people who lead and the politicians who follow. A.J. Parkinson. A.J. Parkinson, great quote. I respect elected officials who aren't typical politicians. Don't pass the buck without passing the bucks. A.J. Parkinson. A.J. Parkinson. A.J. Parkinson. A.J. Parkinson. A.J. Parkinson. A.J. Parkinson said that. Now, if you're currently thinking, oh, no, am I supposed to know who A.J. Parkinson is? Don't worry. He's not a famous historical figure that you learned about in school, like Plato or Jane Austen or James Joyce. Although, in fairness, you didn't learn much about them either, considering you didn't realize that that's actually Socrates, that's Emily Dickinson, and that's T.S. Eliot. But the point (laughs) is, it's actually completely fine not to be familiar with A.J. Parkinson, because he doesn't exist. He's a completely made-up person, apparently by Cuomo's dad, former governor and Kevin Spacey cosplayer Mario Cuomo. Now, he used to invoke the name of A.J. Parkinson as a kind of inside joke with the press. And while that may have been charming at the time, the current Cuomo doing it during a pandemic when virtually no one gets that it's a joke is a pretty weird move. Circulating fake quotes. It's obviously not the worst thing Cuomo's done. That is becoming increasingly clear. But it does feel like a pretty apt metaphor for an administration that has aggressively managed facts to fit its chosen reality. And it actually brings to mind another insightful saying. Andrew Cuomo is a colossal asshole. It's from an excellent writer named T.J. Pimpernickel. And I'll tell you exactly two things about T.J. Pimpernickel. One, he's a person I totally made up. And two, he's also completely right about Andrew Cuomo. (laughs) That's good stuff. That's that's just weird. I'd say it is. So Sean has handed me, he kept this story back because he didn't want to give away the punchline. 
So he just handed me the, in a nod to his father, Andrew Cuomo, resurrects A.J. Parkinson, a fictitious philosopher, in his daily briefings. So he was doing this back during the daily CNN briefings that he won an Emmy for. But did anybody pick up on that? Did any of the 22-year-olds who didn't even know his dad was governor? um, No, so nobody picked up on that at the time. I mean, well, I handed you a story of somebody who wrote about it at the time. Not nobody, but I certainly didn't hear of it. No. Uh, Yeah, I I was not into the weeds enough to to realize that this was, he was quoting somebody, an invisible friend of his father, apparently. So he would make up a quote to, like, justify things that he wants to do. Don't pass the buck without passing the bucks. A.J. Parkinson said that, and it's true, and that's why we need to. What? (laughs) I, I like pranks. I like messing with people. I like humor. I like sarcasm. You and I still don't get the joke. <laughs> the inside joke is in line with the governor's habit of regularly including his family in his coronavirus updates. Cuomo's daughters have appeared on camera in recent weeks as he offers fatherly tales about meeting their boyfriends. Okay, I still don't get... That is really weird. So when his dad did it, did everybody know it was a joke? I get the sense from from the the readings I did that yeah people were in on it then so he's he's continuing an inside joke but I don't think there are many people who are aware of what's going on and now that I am again I still don't get the humor it's just an odd thing for an elected official to do oh well especially while you're killing old people well right as, and sexually uh, harassing twenty four year olds exactly. Uh, all the generations can come together with dislike of Andrew Cuomo. And telling your uh, main secretary to destroy uh, documents that would show that you uh, did something. So you're covering up, killing people, and harassing people. But uh, got this A.J. Parkinson person. A.J. Pimpernickel. What a weird thing to do. (laughs) He's just a strange ranger, man. He is. When it all unravels, people are going to scratch their heads and think, how was he ever the kingpin of the Empire State? Because his dad was. Yeah, and you wouldn't true think in the world's oldest democracy that your dad being something and you being something, your brother being something would be still a thing. But Voters are stupid. Present company accepted. Y'all are, are brilliant, and we appreciate you listening. But yeah. Hey, got a name I recognize. I'm going to vote for him. <laughs> what? <laughs> What about his policy? Well, his old man was a good Okay, I've seen that name before. <laughs> right. I recognize that name. Jeez. Top of the list. You want to put it that way, it sounds kind of stupid. You know, I think we need to uh, somehow reestablish in our society that it's cool to say, I really have no idea. Who are you supporting? Guy I've heard of? Or three guys I haven't heard of? I'm supporting the guy I've heard of. <laughs> No, just say, I don't know, I haven't taken a look yet. <laughs> that is a good point when they always talk about name recognition. So I'm going to go with the person I've heard of with the assumption that they're clearly better than the person I've not heard of. Is it that whole, is it Jimmy Kimmel who does the bit where he asks people, yeah. hey, did you hear yeah. about that? It was something that never happened. It's It's got to be that. You just you want to have an answer. If the other people were better, I would have heard of them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you brought us that story, Sean, because I'd missed that, and that is that is incredible. Really, it's really quite incredible. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. I wanted to do this feature called "A Dumb Guy Explains Inflation." 
Yes. So this is not inflation for dummies. It's inflation from dummies. <laughs> exactly. This could possibly be for nobody. <laughs> right. Uh, and all I did yesterday was listen to, uh, like, geez, a two-hour podcast, I think, with some... That's plenty. PhD-level intellectual think tank-type people uh, talking about inflation. It's pretty interesting. So you've probably heard the phrase recently, the dangers of overheating our economy with pumping this much more money in uh, another $2 trillion. Um, and the, the concerns of inflation. So we haven't really had inflation since I've been a grown-up grown-up. Um, it's been hovering around... Two percent or less now for quite a few years, um, which the economists think two percent is the sweet spot. I I don't think most people realize that if you have two percent inflation, which they think is a good thing, you're taking a two percent cut in pay every single year, um, right. unless mm-hmm. uh, unless somebody does something about it. But the overheating the economy part of the uh, the inflation that there could, these PhD people are concerned about is there is a tremendous amount of excess savings in America right now. Their use of the term excess savings is different than when AOC says it or Nancy Pelosi says it. When AOC and Nancy Pelosi talk about excess savings, it's people having too much money and we should take some of it and give it to other people. But when they mean excess savings, it's more than we normally save. And mm-hmm. likely when this is over, we're all going to go on a spending spree and, uh, and, and buy a whole bunch of stuff. That's what they expect. I remember for years and years the story was that Americans weren't saving enough and it was a disaster. But anyway. Right. Right. Anyway, so people are going to spend a lot of money. People are already spending money, and we already have all kinds of supply problems for a variety of reasons. The demand is way outstripping the supply and could dangerously outstrip the supply coming up over the next couple of years. For instance, I was yesterday shopping for a pair of, uh, I wanted a new pair of Red Wing work boots, which are the greatest boots in the world. My dog chewed the tongue out of them, though. And while they will last forever under normal circumstances, if your dog chews the tongue out of them, they're no longer wearable. Uh, are you telling us, Elvis, your dog pulled the tongue out by the roots? <laughs> it did. <laughs> and, Come uh, on, Michael, pay attention. So, what are you doing in there? So I went to buy a pair of work boots, and there were none to be have in my size, and so I went on the Internet. There's not a pair in America. There's uh-huh. not of a pair of 10.5D Red Wing work boots. Don't exist anywhere in America. And I've had this happen with all kinds of different stuff. My son, what did he get for his birthday in December? A new bike. And we went to the bike store. They don't have any bikes. So we went to a different bike store. They don't have any bikes. And they said, nobody's got any bikes, and nobody's going to have any bikes until late spring. Uh, same with skateboards. Same with when I bought a horse trailer because of the fires last year. They said, this is the last one, and we don't expect it to get caught up here on our lot for three years. Demand is outstripping supply, and we're going to pump even more money out there. People have more money to spend. So what happens then, according to these economists, driving up the inflation is, uh, so all these businesses are going to start having people work longer hours, hire more people, demand more more materials to bake the stuff, and then so the price of the materials has got to go up because they're falling behind, and then the price of the material goes up and the thing that you bought went up, and the people are working longer hours, and they're demanding more money, and it all just kind of spirals out of control, and just everything goes up. Everything goes up at the same time. The The main thing that I didn't know that I learned yesterday from talking to these people is how much of it is emotional. According to them, the vast majority of inflation and getting out of inflation is a psychological thing. If we're all under the impression that things are getting more expensive, we all react differently. We raise the prices of the stuff we're selling. 
Um, uh, you know, we, we, we feel like we've got to raise wages to keep the people. We, we all buy into the fact that we're living in inflation and everything. It's self-perpetuating. The fact that we killed it off in the 90s um, or in the 80s and the 90s by devastating the economy with a brutal recession, the Feds jumped in and rose interest rates enough to cause a horrible recession but killed off inflation. So, uh, uh, you know, the big money people have come to the belief that the, the federal government will not allow inflation to happen. So they've been comfortable with that. Well, this this is going the other direction. We've pumped so much money into the economy that the belief among the, the heavyweights of heavyweights on Wall Street are believing that inflation is going to happen. And again, like I said, it's mostly psychological. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then it will just occur. And then stopping it is very, very hard. Yeah. What's scary about this, and I've been hammering the fact that the current insane spending is an utterly unforgivable crime against the kids and the grandkids because we're stealing their money uh, at interest. We're, we're spending it now on stuff right now, and we're going to make them pay it back through higher taxation with interest down the road. It is the greatest theft in the history of mankind, but it's not from one people to another. It's from one generation to another. But you know what I've left out of the discussion? Because if you have significant levels of inflation, including like dangerous inflation, it's a brutalization of the old. Of retirees, of people on fixed incomes. Oh, yeah, because your $200,000 you've got in your 401k gets worth, you know, what's inflation going to be? If inflation is 8%, your quarter million dollars you got in your 401k after after a life of work and savings and growth is going down by 8% a year. Shrinking. Shrinking Mm -hmm. by 8% a year. And if you want to... That's right. And if you want to eat, you're taking X percent out as well. So you could easily be losing 10, 12, 15, 20 percent. Do that math. Yeah. And getting back into the emotional aspect of inflation and why it's so hard to get out of the cycle. If you're under the belief that everything's going to be more expensive next year, well, then you buy the the car, the shoes, the get the deck built on your car, the whatever or your house. You don't build a deck on your car. Uh, It's not a bad idea, though. Yeah, get your barbecue grill up there. Um, but so then you're buying your stuff this year because you're so worried about inflation, which causes inflation to go higher because, you know, it continues to overheat the economy and it's just self-perpetuating. And that's why it's such a nightmare and so freaking scary to try to get out of. And we should be so concerned about letting it start. But I and, have and a it, feeling that all these articles for um uh Paul Kruger in the New York Times, you know, he's the leftiest of leftiest um, uh, economists out there, but he's worried about this. We talked about Steve Ratner, another lefty, the MSNBC guy, really worried about inflation. I worry about a self-fulfilling prophecy of if the big guys, like I said, the big guys on Wall Street are already worried about it, the big economists writing about it, and then we all get worried about it, and we start buying. I mean, we just increase more demand, outstripping mm-hmm. the supply, and we cause this to happen. And then, geez, it could be the rest of my life before we get out of it. Given the fact that this is slightly more complicated than I want to check, I find it uh, hard to believe we're going to convince Americans that fiscal responsibility is the way to go. So I honestly don't even know what the cure is. You know, and, and one more quick note, anybody who lived through the housing crash, you know, if the, the feds have to choke off hyperinflation, what they'll do is raise interest rates to enormous levels, which means your house will be worth a fraction of what it is. Cause the amount of money people have to spend doesn't change. It's just a question of how much goes to the seller and how much goes to the, the interest payments to the bank. Oh man. So that'd be a brute too. 
Uh, you know, this is a downer, and I apologize for it, but don't you think this is the most like fiscal experiment never done in the history of mankind? I don't want to be a downer, and I don't want to ruin people's days, but don't you think this is the most likely thing to happen? The, the reason these left yeah. the economists are writing these columns is because of this extra two trillion dollars we're pumping in right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know, having watched and studied economics my entire adult life. Uh, I have been surprised many times, and the economic might of this country is so enormous. It could be we can find a way to to, to skirt the the worst of it, but uh, I mean they're going to have to rewrite all the economics textbooks if this doesn't cause some pretty serious inflation, right? Well, or, yeah. or at least trigger the sort of measures to fight inflation that we're going to hate. Well, as a graduate student in economics told me a couple of years ago. It's all theory. Um, it's all theory, and people tend to latch on to the theories that back up their political point of view and make those their, you know, life's view of economics. But uh, this, this is this scary stuff. Like like Joe just said, we're 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 conducting a crazy experiment, like you would only want to do in a hypothetical, uh, like in a classroom, like yeah. a war game. To see how it would turn out, but we're actually doing it. Yeah, right. You'd want to try it a few times with models, you know, computer models, before you attempted it. Armstrong and Getty. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. When it comes to Xinjiang, Tibet, Hong Kong, or Taiwan, China's government says the United States should stay out of its internal affairs. Chinese officials want the U.S. to roll back the sanctions, tariffs, and restrictions the Trump administration implemented. They're also warning that, quote, on issues that bear on China's sovereignty, security, and core interests, no one shall expect China to make any compromise or trade-offs. So the Biden people met with the 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 uh, Xi people yesterday in Alaska. It's the first meeting of the new regime, and one of the first meetings since everybody has put their cards on the table at this point and recognized what's actually going on. And we're into the new era of we know you're out to topple us, and we know you know that we're out to topple you. So and that, we know that all of the pretended friendship of the last forty years has been a way for you to get over on us. Has been a ruse. Yeah, yes. exactly. Ian Bremmer's, uh, and we've got a little more, we'll play a little more of the actual opening statements and that sort of stuff with the translator to, to let you know a flavor of it, and then I've got some background on that. But Ian Bremmer tweeted out a short version of what happened yesterday. He said, the U.S.-China readout, most important bilateral relationship in the world, that is without a doubt, among the most dysfunctional, zero trust, and very limited near-term prospects of improvement. That's a pretty wow. dark summary of where we are. So I guess we'll just play this, and then I've got some uh, holes I can fill in. You're going to hear the, uh, the, 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 the U.S. person and the, the Chinese representative and some translators. I have to tell you, what I'm hearing is very different from what you described. Uh, I'm hearing deep satisfaction that the United States is back, that we're reengaged with our allies and partners. I'm also hearing deep concern about some of the actions your government is taking. 
我们把你们想的太好了，我们认为你们会遵守基本的外交礼节。Well, I think we thought too well of the United States. We thought that the U.S. side will follow the necessary diplomatic protocols. 所以我们刚才必须阐明我们的立场。So for China, it was necessary that we make our position clear. 我现在讲一句，你们没有资格在中国的面前说。你们从实力的地位出发，同中国谈话。So let me say here that in front of the Chinese side, the United States does not have the qualification to say that it wants to speak to China from a position of strength. Sorry. So and this just in、uh, China challenging the Biden team on the state of the U.S. democracy today. So they went on to say yesterday they talked about Black Lives Matter. At what one point they said、um, the the Chinese said.、Uh, Stay out of our affairs, because we brought up all the things that are going wrong in China. We brought up Taiwan and Hong Kong, and we weren't so blunt as to mention the Uyghurs and the concentration camps, but we mentioned that area of China, Xinjiang or whatever it's called.、Uh, we mentioned、mm-hmm. the area, and everybody knows what that topic is. But so, you know, we made it clear、uh, what we were talking about, and、uh, the Chinese representative said,、uh, "Stay out of our affairs, or else." And、uh, and by the way. Your record on U.S. human rights needs to improve, and they mentioned Black Lives Matter and police shootings and、uh, the the attacks on Asians all across the country, and gave us quite a lecture about our human rights record, which is hilarious on one hand, but you know, really not funny if you think about it for a second. Right, right, and it's part of our system. It's straight from our values that we have a free media that reports on our sins. And the fact that those、uh, hostile powers in the world would use those sins against us, it's unfortunate, but it's cool. It's fine. I get it. It's when our media invents sins,、right. invents reasons this is a bad country. When our、yeah. academia is lecturing us and the rest of the world about how evil we are, and our enemies use that fake. Uh, Reporting—that's frustrating. Yeah, I don't want to get off on that tangent because I want to talk about that later. But this pretending we're in a race war in the United States. Tucker Carlson last night, I thought I'd put it brilliantly. He said, "You, you, real, you people realize you're playing with fire here, and you really are pretending there's a race war between whites and blacks and whites and Asians, and you, and you, 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 every day bang that drum to try to convince everybody that's going on. You really are playing with fire, especially since there's scant evidence that that is actually occurring." Um, mm-hmm. But more on that later. And yeah, so China's going to use that against us, and they are. I'll read a little of the、uh, how it went down yesterday from one of the reporters that was there. There's an ongoing blowup、um, uh, here at 5:20 Eastern. About 10 minutes of initial statements. Blinken, that's our、uh, Secretary of State, said the U.S. was pushing back against Chinese practices to ensure that might does not make right. They responded for 18 minutes, criticizing the United States. We don't believe in invading through use of force, topple other regimes, massacre people of other countries. Important for U.S. to change own image. Many people in the United States have little confidence in the U.S. democracy, so they're saying we're the bad country.、Um, that was supposed to be it. The opening statements over. The U.S. media pool excused, but then they started talking more, and the the Chinese went on a long rant afterwards.、Um, after the media had left the room, and they continued jawing with with each other. Wow! As the headline、wow. was, it was unusually undiplomatic. I mean, it was a bad start to a bad relationship. The New York Times called it extraordinary rancor, newly combative and unapologetic China. Any good, Michael? How about some transition music? 
forgotten that you were a smoker at one point. How long were you a smoker and how much? Uh, probably just under a couple years. Uh, I was smoking the old cigarettes, and uh, it was on a day where uh, I I bought two packs that morning. And then it was the first time I had done this much, but then by the end of the day, both packs were gone. I was like, well, this this seems unsustainable. And uh, Cost-wise or health-wise? All, all, all things considered. God, the cost is amazing. Um, and then my, my hack to stop smoking was I just stopped buying cigarettes, and eventually, like, it, I don't think it ever necessarily got the hooks in me, but uh, I was able to to curb that pretty yeah. easily. And then yeah. two packs is a big day. That was, a, that was a big day. It was also when I was... How many cigarettes is it? 40. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 20 in a pack. It was also when I was selling cars, so I was standing on a car lot for multiple hours a day looking to kill five minutes at a time any way I could oh, in between uh, customers Standing and on stuff. the car lot, smoking cigarettes, waiting for a customer. Oh, oh living, living the life. <laughs> Glamorous. Pot lot or like a real real dealership? Uh, No, real dealership. Okay. Yeah. I like the pot lots where they just got a, like a random selection of used cars anywhere from like $2,000 to... Chain link fence and a big sign that says, we tote the note. The car may or may not have been salvaged. I don't know. Flip a coin. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Let me check for you. Yeah, boss says it wasn't. (laughs) What? The boss? What? He's usually right about this. The first car. So I was doing a thing with uh, getting a new internet yesterday with AT&T. And it came to, uh, you had to have all these security questions to, you know, get in if you ever got to get in. And I didn't have a, I always struggle with these. Because I don't have obvious obvious answers to a bunch of these. Who was your best friend as a kid? I got, I I won't remember which of the like six people I could mention. Right, right. You know, I moved a lot, so you know, what's the street you grew up on? I got several. I just I have I've struggled with that. One of them was your first car, and I do remember my first car, which I bought at a pot lot in uh, in Denver, Colorado. Um. My best friend and I both went. His sister drove us to Denver from Western Kansas, and we each had like twelve hundred dollars. Wow! And uh, we get dropped off by her in Denver, and we rented a car, and we were going to have to buy cars to get back home. That was our plan. So you rented a car to buy a car, okay? Yeah, so we could drive around. Yeah, she wasn't going (laughs) to hang around all day with her lame old little brother and his friend, right? Oh no, we rented this because we had no money, but uh, we we rented this cheap, crappy car from a place called Rental Lemon. Yes. At least they're up front. And it was just a, yeah, a piece of I crap. I did the rent a wreck thing. Yeah. It's, it's fine. Yeah, it was fine, but yeah. it was it was a piece of crap. But it yeah. was it was absolutely fine for my needs. Yeah. This is the trip where I end, I got kicked out of Denver for urinating in the parking lot. Banned, but, right? Uh, banned from Denver. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But anyway, um uh, we went to this we went to various pot lots and pretty quickly realized they're all exactly the same. I mean, they all have roughly the same thing and treat you roughly the same way. But they're all so shisty. You know, they're the ones that like aren't even paved. They're just Kind of a combination of dirt and gravel and low spots where there's water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they're selling a bunch of different kind of cars for a very low price. But I remember we were looking at one car that had on the window um, $900. And we only had, we each only had like a little over a grand, so we weren't looking to spend much. That's your sticker price, 900 Anyway, so the sales guy's talking to us, and the guy, the owner, whatever it is, he drives up. He said, hey, i got to leave for lunch. Hey, that's supposed to have a one in front of it. Well, I guess you have to sell it to him for what the price says there, but put the one back up there, and he drives off. And nice. I thought, wow, I'm a rube, but I'm not that stupid. <laughs> I'm a 19-year-old with a pocket full of cash from small-town Kansas, yeah. but even I'm not this stupid. I thought, wow, that, that works on some people? Wow. <laughs> oh, my God, honey, we need to buy it quickly. I'm going to get it a full $1,000 off.
Used car- piece of crap. Used car values right now are crazy high. There are people who, you know, at the end of a lease, you have a buyback option. Um, if you want to, you know, you stick with the car, you got to pay the dealer twenty five grand or whatever to keep the car. Now people are buying it for twenty five and selling and turning around and selling it for thirty three, because used car values are so high right now because awesome. of the vid and everything. And what did two nineteen year old boys buy with their, uh, you know, barely four figures worth of cash? something with a T top, something cool looking? We both bought Volkswagen Baja bugs, you know, Volkswagen Beetles that had been turned into Baja bugs. Wow, his didn't even make it back home. Oh, his broke down on on I seventy between Denver and where we were headed. Oof, mine made it all the way home. My nineteen sixty nine Volkswagen Bug that I bought for I think nine hundred dollars. Wow! But, hey, there was uh, supposed to be a one in front of that. A bargain at twice the price. Um, we thought they were kind of cool, but we quickly realized that the only people that thought they were cool were grade school kids. So if I drove by a grade school, <laughs> all the kids would say, "Look at that!" But anybody older than that oh, thought it was boy. immensely lame. Anybody would say <laughs> breasts. <laughs> yeah, not so much. <laughs> when I was you a, were a child. When I was a little kid and my dad uh, came back to the States uh, when he was still in the Air Force, we got a 67 Beetle, white. Um, and uh, I don't know if it was new or used, but I do remember we still had it when we moved to Chicagoland. And that the heater in that thing, it was like somebody had a candle lit and was gently blowing across the candle. Or somebody was going like this on you. <sighs> <laughs> right, from 10 <laughs> yards away. I mean, there was... A barely perceptible breath yeah, of heat. That's the way mine was. And if it was wind, if the wind was in my face, I couldn't reach the speed limit. Yeah. <laughs> I could get about 50, but I couldn't get up to 60. That's when the speed limit was 55. Uh, <laughs> you dreamed of going 55. You say, good Sammy Hagar could go to hell. That was a beautiful dream. Oh, if only. Think how the wind would whip through my hair. The scenery would fly by. Ah, to dream of going 55. I can't drive 55. No, really, I can't. I seriously no, can't. No, no, I, I'm not able to. I've got no, the you see there, to the floor. You see, there's a headwind. Yeah. It's impacting my internal combustion engine. Maybe, maybe if I tack back and forth across the road, maybe that would work. No worries. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Mailbag. First, our freedom-loving quote of the day, continuing our stirring series of quotes about the Constitution. Uh, this is from Samuel Adams. Delicious beer. Beer maker. The liberties of our country, the freedom of our civil constitution are worth defending against all hazards, and it is our duty to defend them against all attacks. Amen, Samuel. Uh, Bitter Becky writes, amused by your conversation regarding contractions. Reminded me of, uh, love Bitter Becky. She uh, remind me of uh, it reminds me of my favorite required contractions. Don't. You'd never say do not you dare. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Do not you dare. That's a good one. The runner-up is Let's Go. Imagine cheering for a team with Let Us Go. (laughs) Let Us Go. Uh, 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 uh. Let Us Go. Come on, kids. Let Us Go. Yes. Go on to the ice cream shop. Get in the car. Let Us Go. Uh, More than one (laughs) friend of mine yesterday was trying out Ament, which was our... our newly discovered contraction. So it's Ament, not... I've been saying Amped whenever I throw it in, but... 
I never actually use it, so it's am amt. not. Amt. Amt. I suppose it be. Well, can't, cannot, am not. Is not can't. Can it. Amt. I think it's amt. amt. I think you're right, yeah. Amt. Um, pardon? I think that lady's wrong. Amt. She talks th- weird anyway. She's the dictionary lady. You can't argue with her. What were we uh, arguing about the other day? Oh, how you pronounce with the, 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 the Japanese tradition of stabbing yourself. How do you say it? Harikari? Harikari? Seppiku? I, I think I said hair. I said hair. I think I've always said Harry Carry. Yeah. It's a very white privilegey way to pronounce it. <laughs> I don't appreciate it. Yeah, well, maybe someday I'll stab myself as uh, the shame of uh, pronouncing Harry Carry incorrectly. And the, the great ir- irony as I pass away. You know, I was thinking of having uh, one of those big breakfast burritos uh, today, but I amn't. 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 Yosemite Mo writes. Uh, but I was surprised to hear you're not tuned into Newsmax. They're a very good, growing cable news network. A lot of, like early Fox before they went to fair and balanced route, weighted with Democratic strategists. Upfront conservative perspectives, some very good people. Okay. I've I'll never watched. Out. I cannot judge anything until I've actually taken it in. Sure, yeah. I don't know that I need more cable news for the reasons we were just discussing. No, it, less. It, it tends to be uh, a particular flavor. And it's easy to just get uh, too much of that flavor, I think. And I don't think it's particularly good for the radio show. No. Again, for the reasons we uh, enunciated. It it misleads you into thinking this is what people are actually talking about. And then you talk to a regular person and realize they have no idea of the entire story, let alone the latest ins and outs. Well, and part of our job is to bring it to them if it's significant and interesting, entertaining, whatever. Uh, But, uh, yeah, again, it's it's not a really good A, B, C if it's on cable news, A, B, we should be talking about it. C, you should know about it. That's not necessarily true at all. Uh, so, Yosemite Mo, I said I was uh, going to check out Newsmax TV, but I amn't. <laughs> Here's Tom. Uh, let's see. Your Republican candidate for governor of California, was he high? No Republicans can win in San Francisco or L.A. And no big liberal cities, no governorship, no way. Uh, half the people hate Gavin Newsom and Cal Unicornia because he's not liberal enough. True. Maybe an independent has a shot, but an R? Jack will eat his truck if an R has a shot. <laughs> Maybe another dismal 20 years of painful slogging, plotting into bankruptcy. Maybe. Uh, you know what, Tom? You could be right. Oh, Van Jones, who I have praised as being wild, wildly liberal, at least smart and honest, said something about the Cal Unicornia governor thing that was just Looney Tunes. We'll bring that to you in. In a few minutes. Um, we got this text about uh, how a bunch of normal people put together a website where you could get the vaccines, but the government didn't manage it somehow. The government is just as lazy as everyone else, only they are all lazy together, like a huge pile of lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly a Ph.D. in political science there. <laughs> a huge pile of lazy. Uh, the uh, always interesting JT and Livermore writes, I don't want to be accused of being racist, so when I noticed that my local cable TV provider, rhymes with Domcast, was offering racist programming on several other channels, I immediately canceled my service. I noticed, he says, that they use acronyms for a bunch of their channels. Ah, yes! That leading intellectual light of the San Francisco uh, school district. Uh, well, the whole school district decided acronyms are a sign of white supremacy and racism. So they had to change the name of departments, so they're no longer acronyms. In the, I mean, it's as if there's some sort of contest. No, 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 no. I can say something crazier than you. Uh, how about this one? <laughs> no kidding. So, uh, yeah, way to go. Way to go canceling your cable because it's white supremacist. 
Uh, this is a nice note from uh, Ricky, just talking about how the VA seems to be doing a great job getting vaccinations out to folks. It's just the the yeah. healthcare workers, and then the oldest first, and they're making appointments, and everybody knows their appointment, and they're getting the job done. And uh, they also point out all veterans are equitable, brothers and sisters. There's no torturing themselves over which veteran is more veteran than the other veterans, which animal is more equal than others. Uh, let's see. How much time do we have, Michael? This Aileen Anonymous writes, my fourth grader finally gets to start in-person school tomorrow, except that she won't, because with the storm last weekend, we decided to take a last-minute trip with the family, just the four of us, up to the mountains, rented a friend's private house, skied two days, have the kids Zoom from there a few days, then come home tonight, but... Right before we left, I got a call from the school saying, since we were 150 miles, or we drove 150 miles, the kids had to stay home for a week. Um, we were with our family in our own car, didn't stay with anyone, even brought our own groceries, got takeout once, bought gas, but now my child is a risk, uh, and we have to quarantine. All this risk could have been avoided if I'd driven 149 miles. <laughs> 